Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. All right, so we're going to jump back into the book of Hebrews um, this morning. And we're in chapter 10 of Hebrews, and in chapter 10 of Hebrews... We, um, we're not going to finish up. We're going we're gonna to spend some time in this chapter. And because ultimately what we've been seeing in the book is that this, the author is trying to explain God's rich plan of the book of Hebrews, trying to explain God's rich plan from the beginning of time to the end of time. That, that we said this last week that Hebrews answers the question that Jesus made the statement in Matthew. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. So what did Jesus mean by that? Well, come now enter the book of Hebrews. It's the go-between. It's the explaining what Jesus meant. That from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of the times, that all of that was a shadow of Christ. That everything in the Old Testament from Adam and Eve to uh, Enoch, to Noah, to Job, to Abraham, to uh, Isaac, Jacob, to J- Moses, to Aaron, and all the priests, the, 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 the tabernacle, the temple, the laver, the showbread, the brazen altar, the Ark of the Covenant, every piece of that was a shadow of the substance, which is Jesus. Basically, in other words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. I kind of skipped around in there. So I'm like, that's not how it goes. Um, you followed me. The word became flesh. The, the, the shadow became a substance, right? The type became an anti-type. The shadow, the picture became flesh. The word of God, all that God has spoken in the Old Testament, all that he did has become flesh in Jesus. That's what we've been studying. That's where we're going. So now what we're going to ask, answer this morning is this, the, the simple question. We've been digging in a lot of theology, a lot of meat. I've been throwing some, 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 some good steaks at you. You know, no more milk. This morning, we're going to answer the simple question, now what? Right? Now what? What do we do with that? What do we do with all the theology and the doctrines? You know, because if doctrine is just doctrine, if theology is theology, then it really doesn't, and if it doesn't have an impact of your life, it's not changing your life, then really, I want to say it's pointless, but it doesn't accomplish the purpose, which is the word of God to transform your life and actually live it out and change you. So now what is the question we're going to answer this morning? But first, we're going to jump into Hebrews 10, and he's going to kind of give us a recap of what has happened in kind of a little bit more detail, but not much. Hebrews chapter 10, let's just read it. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offered continually year by year, make those who approach, uh, approach perfectly. For then... Uh, for then would they not have uh, ceased to be offered. Uh, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the, wisp, for the worshiper, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away or could take away sin. So once again, all of this was shadow, substance, pointing to Christ. The bulls, the lambs, the goats, the doves, all this sacrifice was to point to Christ. And what we saw last week was that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't just for the New Testament, all right? One of those questions that we like that, that we, ask, we have to ask is, how were the Old people, Old Testament people saved? Like, how was Abraham saved? How was, they brought the, the lamb of the bull, the blood of the bull. They brought the lambs. They brought the goats. How were they saved? Well, the author of Hebrews says they were saved because it was credited to them. Their faith in Jehovah, their faith in Yahweh, as they brought the sacrifices, the bulls, the lambs, the goats, they were putting their faith and trust in God and his purposes and his promises. And it's almost as if God saw them bring the bull, but God didn't see a bull. God saw who? Jesus. So it was God, Jesus' work on the cross was credited to them in the Old Testament, just as Jesus' work to us on the cross is credited to us in the future, right? We look backwards 2,000 years. They looked forward to the promises of God. So right in the center was the work of Jesus, that Jesus accomplished the sacrifices. But it says that, you know, they, they continued to bring the sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again. Now, that would have smelled really good. You know, to be honest, I mean, think about it. Constantly in the temple, there was, there was beef burning, right? And, and the brazen altar, that's what they did. The, the priest would eat it, all right? So the, the beef, the chicken, not chicken, but the doves, okay? I'm sure doves and chickens taste the same. But... No, it's a bird. I mean, how much is <laughs> a bird's a bird, okay? <laughs> Pigeon, dove, turkey. I said turkeys are bad. Um, but it's just constant burning of these animals. The priest got to eat them. That was one of the things, the showbread and the animals, the sacrifice. But there was constantly burning, especially on the Day of Atonement. It was a bloody thing where blood was everywhere. They would take the blood, put it on the, all, the, 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 sac, all the, uh, the articles, and they would take it into the holiest of holy, and they would sprinkle it on the, uh, the mercy seat of the tabernacle. We talked about this. But so all of this is happening, and the author is saying none of that could take away sin because if it could take away sin, they wouldn't have to keep doing it. It was all fulfilled in Jesus once and for all. He took away the sin. But then he quotes Psalms. The author does something very important. He, in order to defend his argument, he goes to the Old Testament to explain his argument. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, this is uh, Psalms 40, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but the body of the, but the body you have prepared for me. So Real quick, so he's basically saying, look, in the Old Testament, he's going to Old Testament that God says that something was going to come into the world in bodily form, that there was going to be a body that was prepared for God, right? He goes on, but in burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure, okay? None of that stuff. That was not pleasuring to God. That wasn't satisfying to God. All the bulls, all the brunt. But then I said, behold, I have come in, in the volume of the book. It is written of me. To do your will, O oh God. So the author is showing in the Old Testament, it prophesies that there's going to come somebody, that God is going to take it in his hands, and he is going to create a body. He's going to raise up a sacrifice, a flesh, a body that will be for his will, that will be sacrificed for the sins of people, that God has brought in a flesh, that God prophesied it's going to happen. That's what Christmas is about. Emmanuel, right? God with us. God raised up a, a flesh for himself to sacrifice for the sins of the world. That God, this is not something new. Christmas wasn't a random event. It was prophesied that God was going to do this from the beginning. 
All right, once again, all shadows, all substance. He goes on. Now, this is all kind of recapping. We're going to get to the, the question, the exhortation this morning. But, but I said, behold, I have come into the volume of the book. It is written of me to do the will of God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second, but that he that that will we have, or, but that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And he, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, a one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so you're a first century Jew. And you're thinking, you're reading this, and you're thinking, what? Like, I, every year, every time I sin, every time you, you lie and you have an impure thought, anytime you, do, you bring an animal, you bring a sacrifice, and you're telling me that I no longer, that, that I, I can't bring a, I don't have to bring a sacrifice anymore. I mean, could you imagine this? I mean, none of us really know what this is like because we're so distant from 2,000 years of sacrificial system. But imagine every time you sinned, you had to bring your bull, your goat, your, your dove for the poor. I mean, that, if you were poor, that was where the dove came in. So you brought your dove if you couldn't afford a goat or a lamb or a bull. So every time you sin, imagine that. There was job security in the temple, right? Like you want to get into good business, there's two things you could get into, the mark of the beast and the temple worship, right? None of you guys got that, right? A lot of people are going to be taking the mark. Put your stock in it. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> You guys awake? Uh, but job security and worship, constant animal after animal, sacrifice after sacrifice. The, the priests were not sitting there waiting for their lamb to cook on the brazen altar, waiting to hungry with a s'more. Like, that's not what they were doing. While one animal's cooking, they're draining the blood of another animal. They're in the tabernacle, putting the coals on top of the altar of incense, making sure the, 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 the candlestick is, you know, the, 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 the lampstand is burning. They had to make sure they were cleansing. There was constant work to be done. But now you're telling me that once and for all, that everybody from Adam all the way to the last person who will ever be born, their sins were laid upon one man Jesus Christ, that God took the sins of all people and placed on one man. You're telling me that's the truth? Like these, these Jews would have been blown away that somebody, I get it, because that's the whole animal sacrificial system. Where I bring a lamb, it's supposed to take the life of my life, right? It's a substitute. Like I deserve to die because of my sin, but the lamb takes my place. I get that, it's a lamb. But a person, not just a person, but God took on flesh, died for me, so now I don't have to. That would have blown away these Jews. And some of us are like, yeah. Jesus died, I get it. Holy Spirit, oh yeah, sacrifice, lamb. Keep on, I deserve it, right? I deserve the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Listen to this. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made a footstool, for by one offering, he, was, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Listen, that's beautiful. But the Holy Spirit was witness to us for that, for after he had said before, 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Praise God. Now, where there is remission of sin, there is no longer an offering for sacrifice. Jesus, so, so what is he saying? So there's no longer an offering. Where there's remission for sin, there's no longer a sacrifice that I'm going to do something new. That in Jesus, Jesus is going to be once and for all sacrifice. We've been talking about all of this, that Jesus comes into this world, that the sacrificial system ended in 70 AD, right? Remember 70 AD, the temple fell, that whole system. Many of you guys have that question. I've had, been asked that question a couple of times is, why don't the Jews still sacrifice, right? We wondered that. Why don't, they, why don't they still sacrifice? Well, the reason they don't sacrifice is because the temple is destroyed. They're waiting. They can't offer sacrifices in their backyard, all right? They need a priest. Right, they need a high priest. If you start seeing people in the backyard, you know, slitting over uh, uh, like bulls and stuff, that's not a sacrificial system that God offer, uh, God accepts. So call the cops on them. But you need the temple, and that's why they're waiting. So they're waiting for this third temple to happen, which is going to happen. We talked about this. It's going to happen in the end times. The Antichrist is going to allow them to build this third temple so they could sacrifice again. I believe it's going to happen sooner than later. But what the author is showing is this system is still taking place, which means this, this letter is written before 70 AD. And the author is saying, why are you still bringing lambs and bulls to the temple? Because Jesus did it all. Jesus did it once and for all. Why are you bringing a lamb to the temple? Why are you going to the high priest? Jesus has accomplished it all. What does he say? He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them uh, after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and my mind. I will write, on, write them. Then he adds, their sins I will, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of sin, there is no longer an offering for sin. Guys, he says this Old Testament system, sacrificial system, it had its purpose, but it could not cleanse the conscience or the heart. It could not do what Jesus came to do. And eventually, the animal system, the person, the Jew would become numb to it. Have you ever wondered that? Like as a Gentile, like imagine if you brought a bull, you brought your bull to the sacrifice, right? You brought it to this priest, and he, you watched him slit the throat of this animal before your eyes. That would mess with you, right? You're not leaving the, the temple and going, nah, I can go sin again, <laughs> you know? You're like, that would, especially me. Like, I'm a sissy, all right? Like, when I went to, I went hunting last year. And I'm, I'm you know, like, I went with Sam and I went with Danny and, 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 and Adon. And Sam and Don, they're heartless, okay? They just, like, they're, where's the meat? And I'm up in the stand and I'm looking at, there's a deer. And it's like, you know, it's a big, I'm like, this is it. It's a mama deer. I mean, it's, it's female. So I'm like, but this is it. I want meat, right? And I'm looking at it. And I'm like shaking. And then all of a sudden, I know this is Bambi's mom. There comes Bambi right behind her. And I couldn't do it. My heart was broke. And they're like, why didn't you kill her? I mean, I'm like, come on. It's Bambi. And even when they killed their deer, like I'm sitting, like they leave and I'm sitting there looking at it lifeless. And like they, I'm like, this is, this used to be alive. And it's just sad. His eyes are like crying. And, and even when I was fishing, okay, and they were good. Okay, don't get me wrong. They were good. Like I, I don't fish that often, but I, I remember I was going hunt camping and we, I caught a fish. My first trout ever. It was this big. No joke, five inches, maybe. 
but I'm like, I'm eating it. Okay, I'm eating this thing. I caught it. I am man, all right? Seriously, as I am, I mean, as I've got this fish in my hand and I'm cutting it with a knife, and it's just, I'm like, my heart broke. I'm like, it's sad. It's, it's sad. And everything in me, it breaks my heart. And so to think, okay, just imagine, like, you know, you see these animals being, the life being taken from, imagine if I said, guess, everybody go home and get your pet. Go get your dog. Go get your cat. And some of you are not heartless. I mean, go get your animals, your hamster, your whatever. And we're all going to come and we're all going to take our pets and we're going to lay our bodies on our pets while you bring them to me. I'm your priest and I'm going to just... Slip the throat. Some of y'all are laughing. You guys are cruel. That would ma- You're not leaving that. Your pet, that's your puppy, right? That's my dog. You're not leaving. Oh, I could go sin again because it was just my dog. That scars you. That messes with you. And see, you know, you always, I always wonder, okay, I, but think about it this way. But then after the 20th, the 30th, the 40th, the 50th time of bringing an animal and watching this, you're, you're, you're starting to think, well, this is just another animal. This is just another animal. That was the Old Testament system. This is just another sacrifice. This is just another bull. This is another, yeah, they need to die. The blood needs to be shed. It needs to happen. They're not, it's not hitting you the way. And God's intention was for us to see the depths of our sin, that blood needed to be spilled. And so in the New Testament, what does it say? But the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us. There's something that changes here. There's something that changes here. In the Old Testament, it was the external trying to affect the internal. In the New Testament, what does the Bible say? That the Holy Spirit now comes into you and bears witness that you are saved, bears witness to you that you are transformed, bears witness that you are a child of God, bears witness to you that you are under Christ, that you are under grace, that the Holy Spirit actually does a work inside of you. You see the difference. The Old Testament was the external pushing on the internal, where the New Testament is the change of the internal that manifests in the external. And God is saying there's something different happening here because the external can never do it. Guys, have you ever wondered how in the world can the Israelites see what they have seen and still go on and do what they've done? Have you, I've, I've wondered that all the time. It's like, man, I, if I saw the ocean, this is the ocean, okay? Not a little puddle. The ocean split in half. It doesn't happen that often. And I told the story once where I remember, I mean, I've done this a couple of times now. I hate to, to admit this, but I, I would go to the lake late at night, and that's where my worship place is. I would go late at night, and I would write my sermons and pray and, and worship. And there were many times I'd step out of the truck, and I'd get to the edge of the water and look around, and i make this movement of like, and I'm like praying. I'm genuinely praying. God, if you could part the sea, you could park Lake Genalaska. Okay, part, part it because I want the faith. I want to see something. Just give me like 10 feet. Like, so nobody has to see it, but it's just for me, right? Just for me. I want a part of it because if I saw Lake Genalaska part open, there ain't no way I'm walking out of here in lack of faith ever again because it's that external. If I witness that, I'm having faith. If I saw manna fall from heaven, if I saw quail just dive on me, like I'm like, I'm hungry. I want some meat. Like turkeys flying out of heaven. There ain't no way I'm walking away saying, nah. Walking away, I'm hungry, I'm grumbling. Water flow out of a rock. 
I'd be one of the people that go out to the promised land like when Moses sent the, two, the 12 spies. I'd be one of the two that said, uh-uh, we got it. In fact, I want to be coming back with Joshua and Caleb. I'd be out there with a stick ready to fight, knowing that God's on my side. I'd be the one taking down Goliath. Faith, I would have that faith. But the truth is, no, I want it. No, we want it. We'd be just like the Israelites. You'd be grumbling about being hungry. Be whining about you not having enough military power to get into the promised land. Yeah, I have been working in the church for 20 years. I was thinking about that. I've been, I've been working not, you know, I'm 34 years old. Most of my life, I've been doing something in the church. And I've seen this over and over again in my life and mostly other people's lives, but where you have people come in and you have tragic events that take place, right? A loss of a loved one, you know? And I've been to so many funerals of young people, young people that die and all the teenagers, all the young adults, all the people. He died so young and it just causes me to remember that life is so short. I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna surrender to him. And it's that experience that causes you to be motivated to walk in faith, right? Or a near-death experience. I've seen kids and young adults, even adults, go through a near-death experience where they get sick or they get in an accident and they come on the other side of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live differently now because life is short, life is sweet. I've seen good things where people go on mission trips. I mean, I've been to Peru, uh, Jamaica. I've been to England, different places of the United States working on missions. And every time it's the same, adult, young adult uh, kids, they all come back. I am changed. My life has changed after what I just witnessed. I'm not going to ever go back. I'm going to live for Jesus. And then two weeks later, they're back to normal. Why? Because the external cannot change the internal. The circumstances, your, your environment, it cannot change you. Something has to happen from the inside out. Now, God can use an external to change the internal. God can send you on a mission trip and you soften your hearts and the Holy Spirit does a work in you, but it is only the Holy Spirit. You see, in other words, the parting of the Red Sea is not powerful enough to change your heart. The blood of a bull is not powerful enough to change you. You need something that happens from the inside out. And Jesus says, I came and my Holy Spirit is now doing an internal work in you. Praise God. And because of that, he says this, Brethren, therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Once again, you're a first century Jew. You're listening to this. You're thinking, no way. I can approach God I'm a Jew. I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a priest. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Sadducee. I'm not religious. I'm not right. I can't approach God. Only the high priest can approach God. Remember, say, go to the holiest of holies. Like you can approach, approach God into the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And so it's one thing that the high priest gets to do that once a year. But now he's saying, you can do that. You can do that. And not just you can do that. You see, they had this view of God that was so holy, so set apart. Now, what's, what's sad to me is that's a beautiful view of God, but they're, they kind of 
it kind of uh, bridges over to God is angry. God hates you. God is violent. You are a wicked sinner. God wants no part of you. And I see that in the church today where so many Christians have this view of God. Like, I can't approach God. He's too holy. I'm a wicked sinner. Even on this side of the cross, I can't go to God because God is mad with me. God is angry at me. God hates me. We have whole systems set in place where you have to go through a go-between. You have to go through a person. You have to go through situations. You got to pray to something. You got to pray to another person. You got to pray to a neck. You got to get on your floor. You got to do something. You got to play Simon. I don't know what you want to do. You're going to do any of it. You have Jesus. And you get to the Father, and the Bible says you could go to him boldly. And that's crazy, boldly. I understand, like, I could go to God, like, you know, on my knees. Like, no, Jesus, like, you're holy. You're worthy. But not even the high priest just walked in boldly. No, it ain't happening. But think about this. Who wrote this? Who wrote the book of Hebrews? The Holy Spirit. God. God tells you and me that I want you to come to me boldly. This is not some human author. Now, this isn't cavalierly, all right? Hear this. This ain't God is your homeboy, all right? This ain't <laughs> me and God are tight. You know, we, we got to understand Like God gets me. He understands me. Like, he's okay with me doing this and doing this because he gets my personality. We have this cool relationship where me and God are tight you know he's okay with me walking in sin because he gets the kind of person I am that's not the God of the Bible let me tell you I don't care how close dear God is or if you want to call him your homeboy there's no version of God in this Bible that that is okay with sin period so when it says cavalierly he is still a holy God but it means that we get to come to him in the prayer of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus says in the Aramaic, Abba. You get to approach God as Daddy. Daddy. Father. You get to boldly approach God as your daddy. Because of what Jesus has done, all the doctrine, all the theology, you now, your command, first command, boldly approach God the Father through Jesus the Son, boldly as your daddy. And some of us, that's hard. Because you have not had a relationship with your earthly daddy that reflects any kind of relationship with your heavenly father. Some of that's a hurdle. Maybe you never had a relationship or your, your father was abusive or your father was angry or your father was not present or your father was always gone. And, and these are hurdles and my heart breaks for you because that our relationship with our, our heavenly father has to unfortunately go through the hurdle of our earthly father because our earthly father is a shadow of our eternal heavenly father, unfortunately. And some of us have had to go through the, by the grace of God, God has transformed your view of him. But I promise your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father he is perfect he is loves you he cherishes you but by the grace of God and I know it's by the grace of God I didn't have to go through a hard hurdle my father was a good father who represented God well and he loved me he disciplined me a lot I needed it but he was, he, was, he was stern, he was firm, but he was loving. He was strong, but he was humble. He was strong, but he was gentle. But here's the thing. We, I remember in California, we used to have a, a garage, and that was his work shed. That's where he worked, right? And he blew glass. So he was always back there blowing glass. He also did um, 
uh, neon. And so he's always working back there, and, but it was our backyard. And so we can, in our backyard, I could always walk into the backyard and just boldly walk into his, in his shop and, hey, dad. And every single time, not, never failed. And, and my sister is a contest of this, never failed. If you walked into his office, his, his shop, he would turn off his torch, take off his glasses and say, what's going on? I want to talk to you. I never once walked into the, the, my dad's shop and did like, I don't know, maybe he's working, he's going to be mad if I interrupt him, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to talk to me. No, it's just boldness, it's just daddy. And I pray my girls are the same way. Like, look, there's nothing that my girl, I, I could be preaching right now and my girls could stand up right here and interrupt me and say, daddy, I need to talk to you. I'm stopping, I ain't, y'all, y'all could do whatever you want. I'm talking to my babies. Even while I was writing this sermon, I was, I was working on it. I was typing on my couch, and, and, my, my, and Octavia was sitting right next to me, and she was watching Superbook, which is some Bible movie or show, and something funny happened, and she looked up at me like wanted me to respond with her, and I'm typing. I could see it out of the corner of my eye, and I was just like, what am I doing? Turned off the sermon, so we don't have an end of the sermon, so it, it, but, um, <laughs> but I, I was like, that's my baby. And what saddens me, y'all, what saddens me and what scares me what really just breaks my heart is it would absolutely break and devastate me if the, my girls saw me the same way that some of y'all see God. Like it would break my heart if my girls looked at me the way some of y'all look at your heavenly father. It would destroy me if I felt like my girls were terrified of me that they couldn't approach me or that my girls thought that I had some, something against them, that I didn't care about them, that I wasn't paying attention to them, that, that, that you have some things in your life that you don't feel like is worthy of my time, that you're not going to come to me with everything. That would terrify me. It would break my heart, devastate me. If my little Octavia thought for one second, daddy doesn't care about this, I shouldn't have to go to him. Daddy doesn't love me. Daddy doesn't want me. Daddy may love the world, he may love the church, but he doesn't love me. That would destroy me. Let me ask you a question. How does your relationship with your God, with your Father look? Your Heavenly Father. Because that's where it starts, is that understanding what Jesus has done has given us access to God as our Heavenly Father that we can boldly approach. But then he says, he goes on, listen to this. This is interesting. He says, let us, in verse 22, let us, verse 23, let us, verse 24, let us. And, and so he's talking about us. This is a command to us. He says, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, so he says in verse 22, let us, uh, talks about faith, the faith, uh, assurance of faith. Verse 23 is hope, right? It's, it's, it's a confession of our hope. And then verse 24 is love, faith, hope, and love. What does Paul say? He says, these are the three greatest things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. So what the author of Hebrews is saying, this is why a lot of people think it's Paul, he's saying that the way that we respond to what Jesus has accomplished is we respond in faith, hope, and love. The first 22, he says, faith, faith and assurance, faith with a pure heart, a true heart is what he says. What does that mean? It means be honest with God. Simple. Because of what Christ has done, you could actually be honest with God. You could go to God and honestly, 
This is a beautiful thing, guys, because you can lie to me, you can lie to your wife, you can lie to your spouse, you can lie to your kids, you can lie to your friends, you can't lie to God, right? You can't, like, and it drives me nuts. Like, I, there are times because y'all can puff me up. Like, y'all puff, you do a good job puffing me up. David, you're so good. You know, you're so humble. I see a lot of humility in you. You love Jesus with everything. And it puffs me up. I feel good. I'm like, yes, I do love Jesus. I do. I am humble. I tell my wife all the time, you should hear them. They tell me I'm humble, babe. So I'm humble. You should listen to the church, okay? Because they tell me things that I like. And, and so then, but then I stand before God and God's like, oh, I see your heart. I'm like, man, just stop it. Like, just listen to my congregation for once. Like, don't, because you can't lie to God. And God's saying, that's the beautiful thing. I don't want you to. I want you to come in boldness in who you are, in purity, which means that don't go to God and say, oh, man, I love my wife. God, you know I love my wife, but I just, I'm having some problems. Stop doing that. Go to God and say, I can't stand the woman. That's how you feel. Some of us would even go far and say, I hate her. But I don't, I know your word, I know your truth. Give me, change me from the inside out, transform me. Because what does it say? It's faith in the assurance that the sprinkling of the blood, the washing cleans the word. That if I go to God in honesty, oh, I really don't like that person. Stop that garbage. Just say I hate them. But it's not socially correct to say I hate them because God says that's a no-no. Yes, he does. It's a sin. So stop lying to God that you're, and you're a sinner. God, I, I just, I don't want to follow. I don't want to lust anymore. I don't want to look at the screen every night anymore. I'm sick of it. Yes, you do. Stop lying to God. That's why we do it. You come to God and say, no, I, I know this is wrong. I know this is sin, but everything in me, I, this is what I want. And come to God with the purity of heart in faith, knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ, what does it say? The faith that he will sprinkle the blood over you and cleanse you. You see, if you're going to God in, in, in falseness and saying, God, I know, I, you know I love them. You know I do this. You know, you're not bringing up your sack offering to God. You're not coming to God and saying, God, this is who I am. This is what I need to weed out. This is what I need you to work on. God's, God knows anyways. He wants you to come in faith knowing that no matter what you bring to him, he will cleanse through the blood of Jesus. Do you trust that? Or as we talked about last week, do you trust yourself that you've got to go through a repentance period before you could bring whatever your garbage is before the throne room of Jesus? Look, now this is not talking about walking in intentional sin. I feel like I got to say this every time we talk about forgiveness of Jesus. Because a lot of people say, well, that means I could just go off and do all my sin. Like, I, you know, Jesus is going to forgive me. I could sin. Jesus will forgive me. I could sin. Jesus will forgive me. That's not a heart of the Holy Spirit. That is not a transformation from the inside out. The Bible says that when you become uh, saved, that you're, the Spirit in you is new. It screams, Abba, Father, which means that your spirit is at war with your flesh now. Your flesh may want to do that, but your spirit says no. So you can't just go and do what you want to do in your flesh and not feel the, the pulling and the, and, the, and the tension with your spirit. You won't be able to do it. So if you're able to do that, there's a, there's a problem. There's a problem. But let me, let me tell you this. When do you stop going to the Father? When do you stop going to the Father and asking for forgiveness and purity of heart? When? death, right? I don't care how mature you are. Here's the, here's the bad thing and the good thing about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in this walk with Jesus. Not the bad thing about Jesus, but the bad thing about the, or hard thing, not bad, hard, 
is the Holy Spirit's work in you is to make you like Jesus. And guess what? You look very little like Jesus when you start. And then Jesus digs and digs and he puts to death the pigs, like the external sins that everybody could see. You know, you're not committing adultery anymore. You're not murdering. You're not doing these things. He puts those things to death, those external. And then he starts to work on your heart, the things you're not paid attention to. And here's the annoying thing. The, the more that you grow to be like Christ, the more that your sins, even those ones that you thought were so little at the beginning of your walk, are now blaring in your eyes. Why am I so arrogant? Why am I so prideful? Why am I this? You know, so God is always going to work. You're always going to find yourself in purity of heart at the feet of Jesus, in faith that he will change you. He will transform you. So there you go. Respond in faith. Respond in hope. Let us hold fast in confession of hope. I'm going to go through these really quick. Confession of hope without wavering for he who promises is faithful. What does this mean? It means hold on, cling it says we need to hold on to Jesus. And it says that we need to, to cling. I'm just thinking of Paul. <laughs> I can't. I'll tell you what I was really thinking when I was thinking about this, this idea of like gripping. I saw that picture and I put that up. Down. So that's, okay, I'll tell you. So a couple of months ago, we were at uh, uh, Dollywood. We were at Dollywood. And my wife and I, we had the kids. And so I had to, we wouldn't get to go on the big rides. And I'm not a big ride kind of person. I used to be, but not anymore. And, and so we were just in the kids' rides. And we get on this ride, and it's a kid ride. And I, I just, I, like I said, I'm a sissy. I'm a little pansy. And I get on this thing. But we didn't know what it did because we pulled up on it as it was loading up. So we didn't know what it did. But we were like, this looks like a kid ride. So we just got on it. All of us, my wife and my babies included in myself, and I'm, we're squeezed on this little tiny thing. Like it's like a cage, basically. It's like hold you in. And the thing shoots up 20 feet in the air. 20 feet, that's, that's it. And it starts spinning and bouncing and spinning and bouncing. And I'm freaking out. No joke. I'm holding on for dear life because this is like a kid ride. So I'm thinking that the, the bolts aren't as strong, right? Like, like it's not going to hold me. And my babies are just like happy. They're looking around. Everybody's excited. And I'm freaking out. And here's the thing. The reason I don't like those things is because that's not how I want to go. All right? Like, it's just not. And I know the risk-reward kind of thing. Like, it's very rare I'm going to die on a, on a roller coaster. I get that. But just that small chance, that's not how I want to die. So I don't even want to risk it. And I don't want somebody saying, well, at least he loved what he, he died doing what he loved. I didn't love it. I didn't want to do that. And so if I die, I want to be doing something that I truly love. Okay? I want to die preaching. That's how I want to die. Not on a roller coaster. But I... I, I, I just remember that. Now, so what came to my mind, that gripping, that holding fast, because Paul has this language in the, in the New Testament where he says, man, I fight the fight. I punch as I'm not going to lose. I, I examine myself to make sure my calling election is sure. I'm beating my flesh into submission. I'm not letting the world infiltrate me. I'm holding fast to the hope that I have in Jesus, the confession of my faith. My life is going to hold fast. In other words, my life will reflect what I believe in. My life will reflect my faith. My life is rooted in what I say I believe. In other words, my talk matches my walk. My life matches my faith. It's like this. I'm going to do an analogy. I know we're running on time, but guys, this is a cool analogy. I got a balloon. How many of y'all think I could hit this balloon with this dart. 
from right here. Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. How many of y'all think I can hit this balloon from this distance so much that you're willing to come up here and hold it in your hands? A few people. Okay. How many of y'all believe I can hit this balloon so much that you're willing to come up here and put it in between your teeth and let me hit the balloon? All right, Aaron, come on. Now, granted, I have, I have never won a game of darts. Aaron, you better love this because if you die. Do you have your glasses? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's not, let's not let it lean towards your chest, so I don't want to hit you. There, turn around, let, let go. Open, bite. There we go. All right. Y'all think I could do it? It got stuck in the wall. All right, so I did it. Now, here's the thing. How many people actually believed I could hit the balloon? One. One. One person believed I could hit the balloon. He was willing to stick it between his teeth, mainly because I told him he had to before the service. <laughs> One person, and that is what the idea of faith is, is that faith is not, oh, I believe that Jesus can do I believe that Jesus saved me. I believe that Jesus is more powerful. I believe that the name of Jesus can, t- can destroy any battle, can destroy any oppression, any addiction, any of this. I believe all that stuff, but, but really, I don't know. Faith is I believe it and therefore I am putting my money where my mouth is. I'm putting my life into action and what I believe. What does the Bible say? Hebrews says that faith is what hope, uh, was it hope for the things, evidence for the thing? What, somebody, somebody say it. It's in Hebrews. I should know it, right? Um, yeah, evidence of the things I hope for. Something, y'all figure it out. I mean, it's, the, it's the Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 11 or 10, no, 11. Being sure of the things that we hope for and confident in the things that we should, that our life matches the things that we do not see, matches the things that we put our faith in, the, our hope in the assurance of our belief. Guys, I'm just, I pray that now that you start to see what Christ has fully done for you, that our lives start to change. So we go real quick, this is it. I keep saying that, but this is it. So we respond with what Jesus accomplished in boldness to our daddy, in faith, knowing that he's going to forgive you, in all honesty, in hope and assurance by living it out, and our lives are transformed, and then by love, verse 25 and 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Keep going. And not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as, the, as is the manner of some, but exhor- exhorting one another and so much the more as, we, as you see the day of the approaching. Because I stumbled through that. But what does it say? It says, consider one another. Let me ask you a question. When you woke up this morning, who are you thinking about? Yeah, some of us, most of us, all of us. You know, unless, yeah. When you were getting ready, who were you thinking about? 
When you're even driving on to the, driving to the church, who are you thinking about? And then the Bible says, and what the author of Hebrews says is, no, 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 consider one another. Rather, the same language he used when he talks about consider Jesus, now he's saying consider one another. Consider each other. To build each other up in love and go work, to, to, to push each other, to strive for, to, to uh, agitate one another in love and go work. It's to convict one another. It's to, when I come in here, I'm thinking not what I can get from you, what, but what I can give to you. How can I serve you? How can I be used by God and his, his spirit to serve and help the body? When I wake up in the morning, I'm putting on my clothes and I'm thinking, man, you know, uh, how am I going to, is this going to be too distracting? Am I going to be a stumbling block? Am I going to do this because I'm thinking about the ladies. I'm thinking, I don't want you to be stumbling on this, you know. Um, but I'm thinking and considering one another above myself. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembly of believers. Guys, the reason why we will never shut down again, no matter what happens, is because I did not read this verse until when we shut down the first time. We never forsake the assembly of believers. Because here's the thing, you cannot do this online. The Bible, you know, this is so common for us to say, I love God, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. Let me tell you something. The church, we need to be careful. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, if you come to me and say, David, I love you, but I hate Savannah, we have an issue. Right? Any husband in this room will say, if you say, I, I don't care how much you love me. I don't care how much you want to buy things for me. You want to love me. You want to just take me out. I don't care. If you say, I love you, but I cannot stand your wife, we have a problem. And if so many people, it's so common today, is I love Christ, but I hate the church. And so now it's this question, well, I can be a Christian without church. Let me tell you, you can be saved without the church, but you cannot live out your faith without the church. You cannot live out Christianity without the church. You can't do it. What does it say? It says, do not forsake the assembly. Listen to the wording there. Assembly. Assembly is different than gathering, right? Like if I tell you, hey, I guess I got a bunch of blocks right here. Can you gather them together? What are you thinking? Put them in a pile. Put them, put them in a bucket, right? If I say, hey, guys, I have a bunch of blocks right here. Can you assemble them? Build it. Put them together. What does Peter say? That you are a living stone in the temple of God. What does Paul say? Every single one of you has been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to be used by the Spirit, to be used for the edification of the body, to be used for the church, that every single one of us, not one of you is not without, without gift. Every single one, 100%. But the church today is 80% of the church is doing nothing while 20% of the church is doing everything. No, that's not how it should be. We all have gifts to serve the body. And I'll tell you what, there's one thing that is not on the bride of, church, of Christ there's one thing, one position that is not on the bride of Christ, and that is a tick. Christ checks his brides for ticks. You know, such thing as somebody who's sucking the blood out of the body in the bride of Christ. He's a good old country boy, Jesus. You check, his, check me for ticks, right? Right? 
We all have a purpose. We have a part. You cannot live this out. What does the Bible say? It has 59 commands to love one another, do one another's. 59 one another's in the Bible. So if you're going to live this out without the church, that means you are disobeying 59 commands of the Bible. How can you love one another without one another? How can you bear with one another without one another? I know some of y'all are annoying, and you annoy yourself, and you're like, I have to bear with myself. I get that, but that, that doesn't, it's not how it's plot, right? How do you how do you hold fast to one another? How do you communicate? How do you speak love to one another? How do you carry one another's burdens without the one another's? Jesus says, love one another so the world know that you're mine. We need the church. We need the assembly. We need to build the temple. You can't do that online. That's why I promise you we will meet at my house before we shut this down again. I'm not doing it again because everything in me was broken during that season. The Bible says because of what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has accomplished for us, we respond in faith and hope and love, faith that we are forgiven, hope and confidence in the assurance of what we have in Jesus, but then now in in a love towards one another and a love towards the church and the body. Guys, this doctrine should lead to action. That is the command. This is not an option. This is a command. Respond, faith, hope, and love. That's all. That's all I have. All right. Once again, I don't want to create some emotional experience. Like, you know, I know, and that's why we don't do altar calls. You remember talking about the external cannot do the internal, change the internal. Like, I don't want to make some external thing that we get, I can tug on your heart. Let me tell you a story about something's going to make you sad and play the right notes. I got, an, I got a little notepad. This thing I bought, look at what it does. I could actually make you guys cry by the note that I play here. Look at this. This is the holy note. And now I could say something sweet and beautiful and make you tearful. Everything I say now is going to sound holy and righteous. I, I don't want that. I, I don't want that. What I want is not an external that, make, that makes you manipulated into a response. I want the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. That's the only thing that's going to last. It's the only way that this church is going to thrive and be built. And so I pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to do his work, to do what he, he does, and to change us, and to put us to death, and to put more us to death, and bring more Christ to life in us.